Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast with me, Maya Fisher-French. And with me, Mapalomaku. Each week, we'll be discussing the stories we're working on and which you can read more about in the City Press. So this week, we've celebrated Youth Day and we're going to be celebrating Father's Day. But Mapalo and I actually were having a chat and a conversation about um, this idea is as somebody who's young and you're starting to get your first paycheck, you know, often you feel that it's not a lot of money. Mapalo, when you get that first paycheck, it's kind of like, you know, at first it feels like a lot of money um, until you have to pay the bills and then you realize it's not a lot of money. But what happens over the next five years? Have you done the maths, right? As a young person, you've started working. Have you taken that monthly salary and multiplied it over the next five years? Now, just to give you an idea, you could probably be earning about a million rand over the next five years. Uh, if you're earning, say, 15,000 rand a month now, say a starting salary, even if you don't get a promotion or an increase, you're going to have nearly a million rand of income over the next five years. And what have you got to show for it? That is such an important question, Maya. I love, love, love that question. And I ask it many, many times. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation today because, um, as you know, for me and my tribe and my audience, are very young people just getting into the workplace. And I'm so passionate to make sure that, you know, you start asking yourself these questions when you start working because it makes a big, big difference in, in terms of how you handle your money. I will tell you, Maya, when I started working, I was working a part-time job and I earned exactly 3,550. <laughs> I was rich. <laughs> okay, I knew it wasn't a lot of money, but for sure from the get-go, what I did learn from my parents, uh, specifically my mom, my dad is a bit of a spender, uh, my mom is a saver. What I learned was that you need to keep, even if it's a hundred bucks of your money, you need to keep it for yourself. And that's the first thing I did with my money. So 10%, I mean, it's like 3,000, it's 350 bucks um, that I saved religiously throughout. And I never, ever stopped. Even when I had kids, even when I got married, that money, as it increased over a period of time, 10% I've always kept for myself. Whether it's raining or shining, that is the one principle even today I still carry with me. Not to say there haven't been tough times. We'll talk about that. But <laughs> definitely that happened. Tell me, where's the money now? So where is the money? So in the beginning, this 10%. So in the beginning, I started with a simple unit trust. I know you always talk about Cetrix. Actually, that's where I had started with my uh, 350 bucks. Um, then as I got to know a, few, a, a bit more about investing, um, some of it stayed in Cetrix, but some now in exchange-traded funds. But religiously, that is what I do. Every time, even you pay me, Maya, <laughs> 10%. 10% of that goes into that um, investment for myself. This is not my, for my son. This is not for anything else. But this is purely 100% for me. And how much are, as, is it at the moment as a percentage of your annual income? So if you had to equate it, so you get some kind of percentage idea. Oh, goodness. Uh, that's a bit tricky for me, Maya, because remember, we work with different people. So it's not like one income stream that, that is coming in. So it is a bit tricky. I'll do my calculations and I'll come back to you on that one. Come back to you. Sorry, I should, yeah. have, I should have told you to get know, your calculator with this podcast. <laughs> but I mean, I absolutely love that. And, you know, I remember interviewing a, a guy who was 28 years old. This was about a couple of years ago. It's probably about 
maybe 10 years ago now. Yes. And he, he was 28 and he already had a million rand. Mm. And that's 10 years ago. So a million Jeez. rand is probably worth like 2 million today. Goodness. And I asked him, I said, how had he done this? And he said he just committed 50% of his salary Whoa. from day one. So he was living at home for a while. He, he, I, think, I think at this point he'd moved up, but he, he did live at home. And, and from the first salary, because he was living at home, he committed 50% of his money. And wow. he really wasn't, he had a really box standard job. And everyone always says, oh, you know, I, I'll save when I have more mm, money. So yeah. it actually doesn't start like that. It starts with you saying, I'm going to put 10%, in your case, 10% away. And that's just like a non-negotiable. Yes. That is just what's going to happen. Um, and, and I think that's incredibly powerful. And I've always, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't quite as disciplined as you. I, I made, <laughs> I made lots of mistakes along the way. Um, but I, I did always, I actually did have investments that I, that I'd made and that I have never touched. In fact, I did some, I did an offshore investment many, many years ago. I was, I was fortunate enough. I was uh, participated in a listing of a company I was working for and they gave me shares. And, um, I, I used that actually to start an offshore portfolio. Mm. And I mean, I have been subsequent to that. I've been retrenched. I've, my husband's been retrenched. Mm. We've had like, we've gone through so many ups <laughs> and downs and that investment, I've just never touched. Yes. Um, and it's amazing what it's worth today. Um, and every now and then I add to it when I can, but it, the fact that there is something that you never, ever touch mm. that that's, that's actually sacrosanct almost. And yes. I'm not talking about my retirement annuities because those are just kind of there and they, but this is just something that, you know, you just, intentionally. it's like you will, you intentionally will not touch mm, it. Mm. Um, look, maybe it's difficult when you, you know, you, you know, you've got masses debt due tech, but I think for me that that was just always a non-negotiable. Yeah. Absolutely. Legal, can, can I, can I, can I there. even tell you Maya? So when we moved into our house, so we bought, uh, um, uh, we, we used to stay in a flat, uh, that we had bought. And when we got a child, we said, okay, well let's move into a bigger property. Right. When we got here, we didn't have chairs. We didn't have a lot of the stuff that, I mean, now we have bigger windows, all sorts of things. I promise you, we did not touch that money. Even with my husband, he has money that is his own. He did not touch that money. Even today, you can come to my house today. We still have some old chairs, two occasional chairs that are sitting there, but I will not touch that money and I will not use credit to make my house look nice. We are buying things by one by one, pacing ourselves as and when we do have the means, but we will not access credit to make a house look nice. Number two, we will not touch the funds. Those funds are sacred to us. I just think it's fantastic, really. And I, you know, it is, and, and credit has become, I think that's probably, I said I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and credit's probably the one that I, I haven't made. So I didn't land up in that sort of credit card debt. Um, but I think that is what happens to a lot of young people now because I was young a long time before my father was young. <laughs> so in my day, my father, banks didn't give you credit very easily. It's not like it is today. It really, you, you had to, to go through a lot of, of, of um, hoops that you had to jump. And I look today at how easy it is to take credit. And we've spoken with Samke. Samke's been on our show before about how she got into so much debt by the age of 26. And, I mean, she was given a student credit card. It boggles my mind. It boggles my mind that a bank will give somebody who is by definition not earning an income because they're a student a credit card. And they don't go and they don't say to you, here's your emergency fund or your seven-day notice deposit so you can save up for that. They give you a credit card. And I think it is so much harder when you've got though access to that because I think we often 
default, we kind of think the bank knows what they're doing. We don't, we like, well, if the bank thinks I can have this credit card, I can. If the bank says I can, or the store card, you know, I go to, you know, Truist or Edgar's or not Edgar's anymore, it's closing, but any of these stores and I take out a store card, well, I must be able to afford it. Otherwise they wouldn't give it to me. And we outsource a lot of our responsibility. And I think that is, is also why I think young people land up in, in so much debt. No, absolutely, Maya. And also just that instant gratification. I know we hear it all the time, but being able to put off a buying or purchasing decision is also so, so important. I mean, just the other time, remember when we were looking for a car, I thought, you know what, I am going to buy a car. And for some reason, I just said, you know what, maybe let me put it off for a bit longer. But now I would have this car, expensive car, sitting in my garage right now, paying for it, and I'm not going anywhere. So I think also being able to delay that purchase is also wow, like it can really just change your whole entire financial life. Well, I shared with you, I'm sure I've shared on this podcast before, my story of my first car because I had the same, so I go off, I mean, my actually my first car was a, a student car. I, th- I think it was 4,000 Rand. That, I kid you not. It was like a <laughs> clapped out old city golf. That kind of got me from what? A to B. Um, it, would, it, would, it would overheat quite often. So I had to keep water in my car that I could top up with, you know, that, that so when it overheated, I could, could to top it up. Um, I I know the petrol gauge eventually broke, broke, so I had to like work out how much oh, <laughs> petrol I had. That was my first car. <laughs> then I decided I was now, you know, starting to work and I, I wanted to buy a car and I wanted the financing. And I was turned down by the bank. I was, I was turned down oh, wow. for financing. You would never hear No, nowadays, never. Because in, in those never. days, they didn't never. allow residuals and they didn't allow you to fund it over 72 months. So you had to pay it off pretty much then 48 months and whatever they decided, I couldn't afford it. And um, I was devastated. I thought the bank was the rudest, cruelest creature on earth because, boy, did I need a new car. And, um, and I look back and I think they saved me from myself. What a, I mean, yes. I mean, you know, I've never had car yes. debt. And I look now and I just think that was the best thing that ever happened to me. So my next car was another. I, I think I had to drive that one for a little bit longer, actually, eventually. Um, and, you know, uh, you, you make your way in, in the world. And I think we also, it's just this whole idea of, well, it's only 3,000 rand a month, you know, but mm. it's not. It's 3,000 rand a month for the next 72 months plus a residual. Yes. And there's insurance and there's petrol. And we see so many young people falling into that debt trap. And, you know, if I had one thing, I'd, yeah, I, I would say that probably ac- you shouldn't be able to access credit. It should be like alcohol limitations, you know, um, except on the <laughs> debt. So like you can't have access to credit until you're 28 or something. So at least... If you started to work for the first five years of your working life, the amount that you would have paid back to credit cards and store cards you actually invest. How about that, Mapala? I think we yes, should, we yes. should start that. And that's where we should start. I don't, I don't think banks would like that. I do not think banks would like that at all. <laughs> I think they're also the culprit, Maya. I think they're the culprit to this whole situation. Um, giving so much access so easily um, like literally you can get access on your phone. You can get access to credit by just a few instructions on your phone and boom, there's money in your account. And you think that, you know what, this is my money, but you're going to have to pay back. Yeah. With interest. With a lot with of interest, interest. With a lot of interest. And, and yeah, people, if that student credit card, I think that's one piece of advice I want to give to anyone listening. It's don't take the student credit card and also avoid. But I mean, if you, if, if you have a young person, we do, we get young people contacting us and saying, how do we, I'm not getting my first salary. What do I do with the salary check? Like, what is, like, 
101. So uh, again, I'll go back to my example. Definitely the first thing you should do, pay yourself first, meaning that a percentage of that money that comes into your account is yours and yours to keep, to invest in yourself, to invest in your future. And you know, often Maya, when we talk about an emergency fund or in savings or investments, I think it's kind of connected to a bad situation happening, right? So people think, oh, if you lose your job, yes, all of those are a reality. But I also take a look at it as an opportunity. So for example, um, now let's say five years later, there's an opportunity to invest in another country or, or, or something, an opportunity comes along. I have the means to actually take that opportunity, right? So also just don't think about it as, you know, something bad can happen. And if you think about it in a positive light, it puts you in a better position to say, you know what, I actually want this for myself. So number one, make sure that you put a percentage away every single month for yourself and let that money be completely sacred. What's your number two, Maya? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love what you just said now about about looking at, at having cash for opportunities as well. So, I mean, I think, you know, I'm a big one on emergency funds, as you well know, because I think that's what ends up in, in debt all the time. So, so yes. people tend to land up using the credit card because they haven't planned for anything. Um, and I think, yeah, so definitely for me, it is that it is a combination of, of the, of having, of putting some money away so that you know you've got liquidity, but then starting that investment. And even if it is just, even if it's just a hundred rand a month in the beginning, um, it's just getting that, that kind of commitment to it. Um, I think for me, the next one really also is to, now this is going to sound a little bit boring, but it is to start <laughs> actually looking at, at budgeting and, and getting to a discipline of knowing where your money goes. I mean, you often talk about your, what do you call it? I want to keep wanting to call your zero budget. Zero what? <laughs> zero based. Zero, zero based, based budget. <laughs> and I, you know, it's it's something that I only learned when I was thirty-two, and Jeez. um, you know, it it took a, a major life event for me to actually start budgeting properly. And I think that sadly, that seems to be true for most people. Most people only ever mm. really draw up that proper budget for the first time when they have to, when they're faced with a life event. And I think if you can, as a young person, actually get into the habit of writing down what you spend uh, and and also what you do is you'll start to build up some sort of profile over time of what you know of what your expenses are and also where your expenses are, are picking up and and how life's changing and what's you know where money goes uh, and I think that would also be another one I would really encourage anybody starting out with that first paycheck because like I said, you get your first paycheck and in one minute you feel rich because it's the first time you've earned mm. money. <laughs> then you just have to start paying it out. And, and I think there's such a disconnect between understanding the cost of living. Um, people don't yeah. really understand what that costs. So even, you know, just, just really getting a handle on that, I think. That would be my, probably my second. Okay, you're number three. Yeah. It's going to get tougher for now. Number three. <laughs> no, I think maybe this would come last or first, but... Um, I, I think very, very big on this. And I think I speak for the both of us that you need to take control of your finances by educating yourself. Um, again, you cannot uh, put that responsibility on anyone, not even your financial advisor. It's not their responsibility to show you how money works, your responsibility. I mean, I, I was saying this to, to someone, I was saying that your relationship with money is the most constant relationship you ever have <laughs> because from the time that you start working until you die, you have to handle money. You earn an income, you live, you know, talking about budgeting, that cost of living, it is the most constant. It is forever and always there. So 
why not educate yourself on how this thing works? You know, how, how does budgeting work? And I always say that don't, don't feel overwhelmed by um, the different types of topics that are out there. For one month, just learn about budgeting. Okay, this is how you budget. Try it and see how it feels, how it fits into your lifestyle. Then second, you move on to how do I start saving? What are the best savings account? Uh, how do I start saving for an emergency? What is an emergency fund? Then from there, you build that knowledge block until you feel comfortable enough to make those decisions. Because what kills most people, Maya, um, besides feeling overwhelmed, is that they feel like, there's too much information. They feel like they don't feel confident enough when it comes to their money. So they would rather say, okay, I have a financial advisor. He knows everything or she knows everything. But do not take for granted your own knowledge. It, it will put you off in a better space than if you just uh, lease out that um, responsibility to someone else. You know, I couldn't agree more. And I also just on, on funny enough, I just, just did a column today on this. It's also just your day-to-day financial interactions, your bank statement or your credit mm. card. Do you know how it works? Do you know what your fees are on it? Have you ever yeah. actually gone through your bank statement and added up the fees? Um, I've got three Oof. examples in my family alone, okay, of where the banks have charged mm-hmm. incorrectly on bank fees. Uh, my poor yes. mother, we've just had to spend a couple of letters and arguments and discussions trying to get money back. The bank had illegally, not incorrectly, deducted from her <laughs> bank account. Um, and, you know, if you're going to enter a credit agreement, whatever that credit agreement is, don't just look and, and you're so feeling so desperate that they say, oh, you're going to pay back a thousand rand a month. And you say, oh, that sounds fine. Ask, what is the initiation fee? How much am I paying you for this? When you talk about an interest rate, what is that interest rate? What other fees? And take out your calculator and work it out. Because I can tell you, do you know, you could get offered, this is an example, there's a bank out there which is offering a one-year loan, so you can borrow money for a year at 12%. Fabulous, right, I can take a short-term loan, 12% isn't as high as 22% maybe, it's a good loan. Mm Mm-hmm. But your initiation fees can be up to a maximum of just over a thousand rand. So it's on a ten thousand rand loan, <laughs> you're paying ten percent, ten percent to on your initiation fees. Okay. Jeez. Then you've got your service fee of of uh, sixty rand every month that goes off. So, but and then you'll probably have credit insurance, which yes, can be a good thing, but you pay for it. Uh, you're gonna yes. add up. I've worked out that that loan's probably costing you closer to twenty two percent. But you read. 12%, yeah. whatever, 1,000 yeah. rand a month. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. So I think it's also about learning to read the fine print, asking questions. Um, don't just, because I think a lot of people get caught in debt traps because they actually don't understand how debt and credit works. Mm. Like my worst, Mapolo. Oh, the bloody credit card. We get back to the credit card again. People honestly <laughs> think that paying the minimum amount is the right to do so they they take this money they owe all the money never ever get out of you'll never pay it off people you will never ever get out of debt if you only Mm. pay the minimum that's how it's designed that is how it's designed that you should not pay it off ever and i remember we made an example in one of our podcasts that if you owed fifty thousand and you paid forty thousand let's say you had a bonus and you pay forty thousand 
the bank will not say, oh, okay, this person was still able to pay 2000 They can continue paying 2000 They will say, oh, okay, the balance is 10000 now. Now we're going to take 300 or 400 And you will never, ever pay it off. That's how it is designed. Exactly. It's designed on a, on a reducing balance. So you're constantly paying less and yes. less and less so that they keep you. And credit, credit cards are one of the biggest money spinners for banks. They, they, they just love them. Absolutely. Which is why people, when you go as a student, the first thing they offer you is a credit card. Think about mm. this. They're not being kind. They are selling you a product that makes them money. It is not kindness. Yes. Give you credit. It is not yes. kindness. Okay. Yes. Yes. And my yes. Pillow, I mean, we've spoken about investing. We're talking about credit, those sort of things. But when, as a young person, do you start looking at insurance? I mean, I think that's also a topic that we don't really ever cover enough. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because I- I think, you know what, as soon as people hear insurance, they think boring and you know what, it's not for me. (laughs) But I'll give you an example. Um, It's actually this past weekend, I was talking to a friend of mine and she was saying that she saw something I had posted about um, income protection. And she says, you know what, I wanted to write a long, 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 long comment in your comment section to say how important it is. And this is her story. Her father is 58 and he just got diagnosed over a year ago with a disease that um, affects your brain. Like I think the front part of your brain. So you lose um, your motor skills. Eventually you, your, your, your brain forgets how to do things eventually. Right. Um, and she says the father had income protection and it's been paying up to a maximum of his salary. I think only about um, 80% of his salary, but it's a big difference. Now they were able to get a, a nest into their house to take care of him so that they can alleviate the, 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 the burden on the mom. Um, but that's the importance of income protection. For me, Maya, even before I thought about life cover, I knew that I had to get income protection. I have had a friend of mine who were, we're still in varsity with in our last year of varsity. She got into a bed car accident and got disabled. And it, it just makes things so much more difficult when you don't have insurance. Um, and I always say people have insurance for their car, for their homes, but do not have insurance for themselves. Who are, and you are the actual asset. The things, those things can go away, but you are the actual asset that keeps these things. If you get hurt, if you fall ill, you will need to have some sort of cash coming in while, when you can't work. So for me, income protection Maya, is everything, everything. I know we're not even talking about life cover, which also is important, but income protection. Well, I think when you're starting to work, is, yeah, you're starting to work, you don't have many liabilities. Um, you may not have dependents. Yes. And I spoke earlier, you know, you're in the next five years, you're going to earn a million rand. Well, what if you can't earn the money because something's happened to yeah. you? Um, and, yeah. and that's the yeah. million rand that you're insuring effectively. That, that's very important. And the other one mm. that I also, um, I, you know, I think is becoming more and more relevant as well as critical illness. So that's income protection. Yes. Um, and it's interesting. The, I mean, I, funny enough, I did, did an article once on a, a woman who was, she actually went to, to, to fight discovery um, over there, over breast cancer medication. So it was actually more of a news story about her taking on the big discovery giant. Um, but she, mm. and she, when she was 20 years old or something, a broker came and she took out some life cover and he said, oh, let's throw in this thing called, I think, dread disease, <laughs> called dread disease, yes. critical illness, same thing, for like whatever. And she just sort of paid it. 
Next thing is she got breast cancer and this thing paid out. She said, you know, she was, it was able to help her cover her bond repayments and a whole lot of other things that she said were able to give her time to look after herself and to, to recover from, from the disease. And, and especially for someone like me or you who are self-employed, I don't have an employer when I can't work because I'm sick. If I, if I'm unable to work, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe ill for a couple of months. I don't have an employer who's going to pay me my salary. So, um, you know, income protection kicks in. Often you have to be ill for a whole month or be off for a whole, more than a month. Whereas, whereas critical illness will actually kick in if, you know, if you're diagnosed with something. So yeah. I think, I think it's very important to look at all of those insurances and kind of work out how they can blend together. And I suppose if you, if you're employed, you may have less need for one that, you know, there, there may be something your employer offers. But I also, you know, I came to review my insurances at the age of 40 and I had a, I'd had a major back incident um, and I cannot get cover anymore on I, all my cover from my back. So fortunately I had cover in place. Um, just yes, that, yes. That, that was already in place because unfortunately I can't top it up anymore, but at least it's there. Um, and those are the other things you don't know, you know, you keep waiting Oh, one day, one day I'll take it out. But if your health mm-hmm. deteriorates mm-hmm. in any way, um, then you, you also have a, have a big issue. So I think that's important. So where are we at? We've got, we've told people to start saving, <laughs> budgeting, learning about money, understanding their credit and credit and bank statements and, and having life insurance. Is there anything else we think they, our, our young youth people should be listening to, deciding on? You know what, Maya? I, I love the fact that, you know, we've listed, I think, about five. I think let's leave them with the five and before hopefully it's execute. <laughs> yes, before, before exactly. I, I think that's also one thing when it comes to personal finance that you can feel um, like it's a lot and you don't know where to start. But I think if you do just those five things right now, um, you'll be well on your way to, you know, making sure that you're in control of the finances. Brilliant. So there you are. If you have just got your first paycheck or quite frankly, at any stage in your life, if you don't have any of these things that we've spoken about, uh, there's, it's time to start thinking about it. And, uh, you know, if you have any questions. No, it's time to, it's time to start doing. It's time, it's time, to, start time doing. to start doing and not thinking. Exactly. Yes. Or worrying. <laughs> if I just start, it's time to stop worrying and start doing. That's what we're going to end with. Just start doing. Just start exactly. doing. Exactly. <laughs> So that's a wrap for today. Um, If our listeners would like to learn more about these or any money-related topics, they can go to the City Press website or to your website, womanandfinance.co.za or my website, mayaonmoney.co.za. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a WhatsApp voice note to 064-554-3959 and we look forward to hearing from you. Because we want to know what it is that you want to know. You've been listening to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, featuring the contributors of the City Press personal finance pages.